0: Community life coordinator. I do the website, the emails, some of the volunteer management, that type of thing. And I have the pleasure of being able to share with you this morning. Uh, I'm going to start from Matthew chapter 22. I'm not a PowerPoint guy, so if you want to pull it up, if you have your Bibles with you, feel free to turn there. Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 36. Uh, There's a Bible app. I won't be offended if you have your phone out. You can text too. That's cool. That's cool. But I'm going to start in Matthew 22 for uh, verse 36. And before we do that, I just want to open us up in prayer. Um. God, thank you so much, just as Doug said, for making a way for us in Jesus that um, we weren't just given life. I mean, we weren't entitled to life. All of us just kind of woke up one day. You know, we didn't, we don't remember that. We kind of just all woke up and we haven't just been given an existence that's on this earth and that it ends, but that we were created with an eternal purpose. And I thank you that that purpose isn't religious and complicated and about getting everything right but in fact you made a way for us you came to us out of love and I I just thank you and we take a pause to just acknowledge that and fix our eyes on the truth of who you've made us to be about the love that you have for us that you make a way that it's not about us and how good we are but it's about how good you are and we thank you this morning, Father. We welcome you to do your work within us. Whether this is your first time at a church or you've been coming for 50 years, I just pray that uh, we'd be open to receive what you have to say, Father. And, uh, yeah. Thank you, God. Come have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Alright, so the topic I'm going to speak on this morning is is love. And I, I want us to come away with an understanding of what the love of God is as it, as it pertains to your eternal relationship with him, the, the gospel message, but also what love means for your week. What does is, what is the phrase God love you mean for your everyday week? You know, not just, it's not just a heaven ticket, but what does this mean for every day? What, is this, what does it look like to live as being loved by God every day of your life? So um, there's, a, there's a lot to say, and, and it can be for those who, like, again, if this, is, if this is your first time at a church, um, it, it, it's really the most important thing. Love really is the most important thing. The Bible actually says in 1 John chapter 4 that God himself is love. He is love. That's, that's who he is. It's all he knows how to be. He can't do anything except doing things in love because that's who he is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says you can have everything in the world. You can have all the faith. You can have all the knowledge, all the wisdom, all the money. But if you don't have love, you don't have anything. You're not moving in God if you're not moving in love because God is love. That's what, they're, that's what they're trying to call us to. If you're a Christian in this room, in 1 Corinthians 13, they're saying, focus on that. If you're not moving in love, you're not moving in God. Even if you sound really spiritual and you have all the right words and you got a PhD, like, if you're not moving in love, that's the most important central thing. And I'm going to start from verse 36 in Matthew. Just to give you some context, this is Jesus interacting with the religious leaders of his day about 2,000 years ago. And they're actually trying to trip him up. They're trying to catch him in what he's saying. They, they, they don't like him. They're, they're pretty jealous. I mean, Jesus was the most prominent figure in history. There's nobody that's more famous than he is. And these guys were the the ones who were supposed to be leading people to God. And then the Messiah shows up, but they're jealous because of how much attention he's getting. And they want it for themselves. So they're trying to trip him up. And we're just going to jump into this conversation they have. They say, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So the law and the prophets, if you've ever read the Bible, the Old Testament, they lived in a different covenant. Jesus came and brought us a new covenant in which it's just how we relate to God. In the Old Testament, there was sacrifices and rituals and a temple, and there was laws, and if you broke the laws, there was punishment. And It's quite extensive. It goes right down to the nitty-gritty of how you cook goats. And I don't know, there's some weird stuff in there in the law. But he's saying that everything hinges on these two things. They hinge on it. They depend on it. Everything flows out of this. That It's all intended that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And loving your neighbor as yourself. There's no inclination in you that you would prefer yourself. No selfish bit in you that you would love your neighbor as equally as you would love yourself. It's unity with God and unity with people. That's the purpose for which the law was given. And the Bible also teaches us that God doesn't change. It says that in him there's no shadow due to change. So the intention, the character of God is still love under this new covenant. It's with Jesus, this new covenant that he brought, it's, it's still about unity with God and unity with people. But the way in which we relate to God is different. The new covenant that Jesus brought was free access to this restored relationship through the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus is the son of God and he came that he would, instead of the law bringing out and highlighting your sins and you have to kind of get everything right, that was still given in the grace of God, but it was a different system. Now it doesn't matter how bad you've been or no matter what you've done, Jesus takes the punishment for you. That's the, that's the new covenant in which you live in. It's free. It's totally counterintuitive to how we operate. What what, what do I have to pay for this? You know, what do I have to do? Religion says that you have to do something to get your way to God. Jesus came to you. That's the new covenant we live under. Jesus came to you and said, I'm good enough and I'm going to take the punishment for you. It's, it's, it's that simple. It's so counterintuitively simple. The Bible says you have to be like a child to receive it. You just have to know that you're in need and you just have to be willing to receive something to operate in it. It's the only way. There's no other way to entrance it because God loves you too much to have made it conditional on your performance to find a way back to him. He loves you too much to leave it dependent on you. He did it for you. That's the new covenant in his blood. That's what, you li- that's what we live under today as Christians. After Jesus' death 2,000 years, this is it. It's about love with God, unity with God, and unity with people. He restores you to that. It's the, it's the whole biblical narrative. If you've read the beginning of Genesis, Adam and Eve were in that perfect relationship and they, they blew it. They disobeyed God's command and they broke that relationship. And each of us have done that. We've been invariably in a broken relationship with God and he restores you to that. And it's something you live and abide in. And it's not just a teleportation to heaven. It's not just a heaven ticket. You're not, it's not something you just cash in later on. The relationship begins here and now, but this is a different time and place than heaven, obviously. We're left here with a purpose, but you do begin that relationship and you are made completely clean because Jesus became your sin. Jesus loved you that much. And we carry out his purpose here. The, the Bible says that our purpose is the ministry of reconciliation, to reconcile other people, to let other people know that they are loved too, that the way for them home has been made available to them for free in Jesus. They just have to, they just have to receive it. I need this, yes. And we're left here to, to spread that word. The, the Bible says that the Church is Jesus' body. Jesus rose again from the grave. I told you that he died for your sins. He took all of it, but he rose again from the grave. And those are the two most important things in Christianity. He rose again from the grave and now we're given new life. We're, we're filled with his Holy Spirit because we're, we're grafted in. We're a part of his body. We're just, all that means is that we're a part of how he works now. He's, he's working through us by the power of his Holy Spirit. It's his work in you. It's his righteousness in you because he became your sin. God sees you like the perfection of Jesus because he, he became everything else that wasn't that for you, right? And, and we're a part of how he lives and breathes and moves now on the earth. It's, it's a part of our mission. It's a part of what God is doing and we're a part of him in doing it to spread that word, just to let other people know that they're loved, that they can come home, to spread the love, the kingdom of God. I'm gonna jump over to Matthew chapter 12. The flip time is pretty key it gives you a little breather. I didn't bookmark it. I talk pretty quick, you know, it's pretty helpful. Whew. All right, Matthew chapter 12 verse 34. How can you speak good this is this is Jesus talking again to the religious leaders actually. He says, "How can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks." The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. That's a heavy statement, and I think if you take that verse out of context, it can actually sound counter, counteractive to what I just explained is the gospel of Jesus. The, you know, by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. That might sound like, oh... I mean, I guess I better clean up what I say. You know, if my entrance to new life, to, the, to, to heaven, is about what I say, I, I might be in trouble. You know, that's kind of what I think, right? If, if it's about what's in my heart, he's saying that it's, the words are just a product of what's in your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But if it's about what's in my heart, I might be in trouble. But here's the good news, and this is what I want to make really clear to us today, whether you're a Christian or you're, this is your first time here, is that, I, I'm going to prove it to you in Scripture. I'm just going to flip to Acts chapter 15, verse 8 it says that God cleansed their hearts by faith. And in the context of what he's talking about there, it's a really cool story. You should read it, but I'm just going to focus on that. He's talking about the Gentiles, people that weren't Jewish, being saved as well. And the the Jewish people had kind of a beef with that because they've been used to this old covenant where they were kind of the vessel in which God was bringing his mission to save everybody, but it was them for a while, right? So now the Gentiles, everybody else is being saved, and And Peter is making his point, he says, God cleansed their hearts by faith. And that's the good news, is that it's out of the abundance of our heart that our mouth speaks, and it's by our words that we're justified, but it's he who cleanses your hearts by faith. It's something that he did. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This is a prophet prophesying about the new covenant that was to come in Jesus. He lived a lot longer before Jesus, but he's talking about the covenant you and I live under in Jesus. He takes the hard heart that we have, because life is hard. Life hurts. We, we all have hurts, and, and our reaction is, is, we get hard. It's just the natural reaction with pain. And that, out of the abundance of that hard heart, we would speak. Except that Jesus gives us a new heart. He puts a heart of flesh where we had a hardened heart of stone. Okay, that's Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six. if you want to write that down. But what I'm trying to say to you here is that that verse is still pointing to the same thing. You're still justified by God. God is the one who gives you a new heart. And out of that heart, your mouth speaks. And by your words that you speak, you're, you're justified or condemned. But it's God who gives you the heart to be able to do that. He did the heavy lifting. He did it for you. He's given you that new heart. And the reality about the Christian life, and, and sometimes it's such a vessel for the enemy, is, is that we see things in our heart or we see things in our life that clearly aren't pure or, or good. And, you, and, and the accuser, the, the Bible calls the devil the accuser. He comes along and he says, look at Jake, he's so full of lust and pride and all this stuff, whatever comes up in my life. And he says, How can you're telling me that this guy has been made a son of God? through Jesus? You're telling me this guy has a new heart and he accuses us, but the reality is that God removed that guilt and shame from us through the cross. It wasn't a one-time thing. You don't have to refresh it every time you sin. You stand in the grace of Jesus. It's like this waterfall constantly pouring over top of you. It's just, as, as quickly as it comes, Jesus doesn't want it to hinder you because he takes the punishment for it. We were never meant to doubt that. Romans 8 says, I forget the verse number, but it says that he who would give us his son's life, how would he not graciously give us all things? If Jesus loved you enough to come and die to forgive you and wipe you clean, how would he not graciously lead you into all things? The relationship he wants you to live in is having him as a friend and a father that you can talk to. You become his child you become his child. Satan wants you to identify with those stumbles you have. Sometimes you reach out and you try and give life to that thing that Jesus put to death on the cross. And Satan tries to say that that's your identity, but that's not the truth. You've just, we've reached back and tried to give life to something, but that doesn't change who Jesus is in us. You see, the hope we have, the reason it's unshakable is because of who Jesus is. Not because of how many times we reach back. Not because of our performance. It's, that, that's the reason it's unshakable. That's the reason we have peace that passes understanding. Love that passes understanding. That's the reason you have hope throughout your week. This is what I'm saying is that you can come to church and you can even read the Bible and sometimes get a sense that God wants you to be different and you know you're not different and you need to do more. And okay, great, I need to change. I get that part. And, you just, and you're constantly beat up by guilt and shame. But the reality is it's, it's about who he is, not about what you can carry out on your own strength. And, and fixing our eyes on him is the concept that I want to transition to. Because we weren't meant to worry. Don't worry about anything, Jesus says. Jesus is, God says that he has not given us a spirit of confusion, but of peace. He's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. God meant to deliver you from all of those questions and uneasiness about who you are, whether or not you're loved, because sometimes you mess up. He takes that for you, and you are seen like the perfection of God in Jesus. He just sees you like his son. He sees you completely made clean and that's the truth of who he makes you. The Bible talks about being born again. It's a new new life in a spiritual reality. It's a literal thing. You're literally new in being filled with God's Holy Spirit and you're completely clean in him. So we've got to stop identifying as sinners saved by grace. You're not a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner who's been made a son or a daughter. You're a part of his family. You've been adopted. He doesn't want you to identify with that. He's not trying to burden you with those things. That guilt and that shame is not from him. So when you get the sense that God wants you to be different or God's calling you to something, don't ever be daunted by what you see around you or the reality of the strength that you believe that you have. You look to him. You fix your eyes on him because he is your strength. It's him living in you that makes all these things possible. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Every single thing. Nothing is impossible with God. It's a verse in Matthew somewhere. I don't know. Thank you, Jim. Jim knows the reference. You can do everything through him. The whole point is that we would fix our eyes on him and take encouragement and take peace and take strength from who he is. Don't ever be daunted by your own weakness. Let's go to Matthew 5. This is beautiful. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you're feeling poor in spirit, you're blessed in Jesus because Jesus wants to be your strength. He completes you. You have, I think it's in Ephesians, you are perfect and complete in him with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's the truth of of who Jesus is in you. You're blessed. He, we have to fix our eyes on him. And, I'm going to leave you guys with this, is, learn to fix, we, 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 it's not a, a burden to fix our eyes on him. How many, time, how many times have you been told to read the Bible? Right? Just, it's, it's, it's not a burden. It's reminding yourself of who Jesus made you. It's remembering who you are in Jesus. It's discovering treasure that when you see it, you, you, you want to sell everything you have for it, if you know that parable. It's, it's like, I, I find a better way to describe reading the Bible is, is like climbing up on God's knee and he reads to you. It's not a history book that you study. He changes you through this. He says, seek him and he changes you. He changes, God made it possible for you to be the dad, the mom, the brother, the sister, the friend that you were called to be because of him in you. You can do, that's what I'm saying when I say, that's what the Bible's saying when it says you can do all things. Because he lives inside of you. He transforms you as you fix your eyes on the truth of who he's made you. And the truth of his love for you. We love because he first loved us. You don't, I mean, if, if you hate yourself, if you hate life, if you hate God, God's trying to introduce yourself, himself to you. He's not, he's not standing back waiting for you to take the first step. He's eagerly at the door wanting to free you from the, from the pain, from the burden. So fix our eyes on him. I'm going to leave you with, with this. I got these cards. It's, just, it's four verses that are Paul's prayers for the churches. Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament. A lot of them are, most of his books are letters to churches. Jesus is rose again. There's people gathering. They're churches. And Paul writes letters to them and he prays for them. But Scripture has a special place in our mind. When I'm saying fix our eyes on him and the word, Scripture is going to be your anchor. Scripture is going to be the place that, you know, it's called the sword of the spirit. There's a a special place that Scripture has that that's where you're going to learn the love of God. That's where you're going to learn who God is. Whether it's through personal time of, of letting him read to you and speak to you through sitting and reading it yourself or whether it's through conversations of mentors or you can seek him but this is going to be the anchor and I find it so helpful for me to pray the prayers that Paul prayed for the churches praying scripture is a, is a really powerful concept because I want you to understand that the things you see in here if you ever think to yourself man I wish I was that if you think that God's calling you to something and you think man I wish I could become that or I wish I had that I want you to know that the reason it's here is because God wants that for you And and he wants that even more than we would want it ourselves. So when I'm praying this, not only is it helpful because it enlightens me about what God would want for me, but it's personal. You're asking him yourself. So I'm going to close by praying one of these prayers. And I've got two volunteers who have these cards. I think I've got 40 of them. And uh, just put it on your fridge or... I just find them helpful. I mean, if they go in the recycle, that's cool too, but I just wanted you to take home something and just think about this. Pray them personally. Fix, like, even just read them. You don't do what you want, but fix your eyes on who He is and take encouragement from that and who He is. Don't let anything daunt you because it's His power that defines you. It's you're new in Him. You can do all things. There's nothing that He's calling you to, there's nothing that He would put in front of you that He hasn't already supplied enough for you to overcome and become way overshooted. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I'm going to pray this prayer. It's from Ephesians 3. Take one of these cards home. They're going to be at the door. They're going to be on the fridge. And uh, just receive this. I'm going to pray it. I'm going to change the, like, who's speaking. I'm going to just make it me instead of Paul for those people. So just receive this. Just get before God right now if you're able to in this space and just receive this. Just pray this with me if this is your heart. God, we, we pray that out of your glorious riches you would strengthen me with power through your spirit in my inner being so that Christ would dwell in my heart through faith. And I pray that I, being rooted and established in love, would have power together with all of your holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep the love of Christ is and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that I would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. God, would you fill us to the measure of all the fullness of God? Would you fill us with a tangible understanding? Would you transform us? Some of us don't know what it means to be loved. Some of us have lived lives where the people who were supposed to love us didn't, and we have a broken understanding of that. Would you regain that word for us, Father, by showing us how much you love us? We welcome you here, Holy Spirit, even now, just to transform our hearts, that we would receive your love. We want to know you. We want to know this love that was meant to quell all of our fears. Your word says that your perfect love casts out the fear within us. If we're fearful, would would we just turn to you? Help us to turn to you and to fix our eyes on who you are. That we would not be defined, that we would not be influenced by our circumstances or things that we think in us, that are in us, that are adequate, but rather let us fix our eyes on you who are adequate, that have become our life. Teach us these things, Father. We praise you and thank you for how much you love us, that you do not change, that you still long to restore all of us to this beautiful, loving relationship with you and with others, that we would all be united in you. May we get a grip on this, that we would carry out your purposes here on life, that we would, in receiving your love for us, that we would understand it to be able to share it with others. Let us see you that's not just angry that we're not doing more, but Sometimes we need to be loved first. For those of, for those of you that are here this morning, I, I pray that, that you would know that you're loved first, that you wouldn't come away with a burden of a sense of what you need to do to earn this at all, but that you would actually just know that you're simply loved because you're a son and a daughter in Jesus. He loves you. Hmm. We thank you, Father, that you carry our heavy burdens. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I got one more thought for you. This is, uh, are you guys okay? Does anybody need to bail? Is it, one more thought, is that okay? All right. When Jesus breathed his last breath, the old covenant, they had this temple and there was this place called the most holy place, the holy of holies, and there was this big, thick curtain that was guarding it. And only the high priest could go in there and only he once a year and only after sacrificing a sin for all of his accident, sorry, sacrificing an animal for all of his accidental sins. It was like more than exclusive. And when Jesus breathed his last breath, solidifying this new covenant, that curtain ripped completely in half. And what that's symbolizing, what that's saying to us today is that Jesus is the way for us to that most holy place. There's no access to God that's been limited. You are welcome to come to him as a child. You are welcome to talk to him about your problems, even the small stuff. You are welcome in his presence to just be yourself. You were created to be you. Maybe people have told you otherwise, but you were created to be you. You were made in the image of God. He has his signature on the bottom right-hand corner of your soul. You were created to be you. You can be you in his presence. He doesn't want you to come to him any other way. So if nothing else, spend time with him. Go to him and just be yourself. Talk to him. I know that's difficult. That challenges sometimes how we're taught about what prayer is, right? But you can talk to him like you would talk to some, like a friend. It's in the Bible too. Jesus doesn't call us servants anymore. He just calls us friends. Go to, the, go to the most holy place. Go up the mountain. Get alone with him. Let him read to you in his word. Let him talk to you about your hurts. Let him heal you. Let him transform you. Let him teach you who he is so that you would have a hope that's in love that's unshakable because it's no longer determined by how people are treating you or who you are. It's solid. It's unshakable because of who he is in you.